Heyo, Johnny Dumas here, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire, and welcome to Team Engineered. If you're looking to lead a team of engineers or engineer your team for greatness, tune in now with your podcast hosts, Jade Green and Kyle Probert, and be prepared to ignite. Good afternoon, everybody. <laughs> And welcome to the Team Engineered Podcast. My amazing host sitting next to me, well, virtually, is the wonderful Jade Green. And we are here to talk about teams, engineering your team or your engineering team. How are you today, Jade? I am way better than I was when we spoke at 6 a.m. this morning. <laughs> Excellent. So the headache is lifted. The day yes, is bright good. and sunny. It was rather dark there this morning. And generally, uh... for a Friday afternoon... It's all going good. It is all going fantastic. I'm off to see my favorite band tonight for the first time in feels like forever that can go outside and do things. So I'm I'm pretty excited today and the sun came out. I'm happy. I feel like I should have jumped in the car and driven up there today so that we yes. could go out. You know, it, it would have been a pretty epic night, I reckon. A hundred percent. I don't understand. Like you're probably going to miss it now, but. <laughs> now, of course, we are at the tail end of six weeks solid, and you're actually hanging off the back end of seven weeks solid. So I tonight's am. your first play night tonight, which should be a yes. whole heap of fun. And of course, the whole idea for anyone that hasn't been on with us with the six week solid was to have a bit of a reset. You know, both Jade and I had sort of you know, we'd slipped off the rails a little bit. We'd let a few things slide. And, um, you know, me being the corrupter, of course, was the cause of all of that. That's right, Carl, the corrupter. <laughs> and so as a part of the six-week solid, and if you want to catch, um, you can, we have a group. If you want to catch and run yourself through it at any time, just drop us a message wherever you might be listening and we'll, we'll get that into you. But um, what we were talking about in there was some books, and one of those books was The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Tough. Six weeks was supposed to be hard. <laughs> it was supposed I to be hard. I, don't, I didn't find it very hard, surprisingly. I have to say, I did. I did. I'm feeling better for it. I don't. I don't think it was hard. Um, there was a, the hard thing in the middle of it was my birthday and the kids um, wanting to share with me some stuff that's not super suitable to my diet. Um, but you know, that's that's just how it goes. So I don't think it was particularly hard. But there were certainly some moments where, geez, I could I could just have one beer, or you know, I could mm. just have one piece of cake with the kids or, you know, I could do something like that. I could and just go to bed without doing my yoga. Or without getting or up Or reading my pages. Live. Getting up at 5 o'clock so I can do my 6 a.m. live. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, these are all habits that we're trying to um, embed and keep in place so that we can be at peak performance to lead our teams. And whether you want to lead a team whether you are leading a team or whether your team is yourself and just those few close people around you, you're still a leader no matter where you are in the world. 100%. So we were talking about like the six-week solid being six weeks of self-leadership and it not being like even if you're not the leader of an actual team or you're just 
you're leading your own company and it's just a company of one. It was all about how you lead yourself so that you can build these habits. You can really step yourself up in terms of your performance, get yourself back on track and step into who you really want to be or who you really need to be to achieve the success you want to have. Yep. Yep. Now, this morning, as I was sort of prepping myself and I was going over some notes and all of that, I sent you a little snippet that I, I thought was absolutely amazing. I thought it really was the, the stepping stone into probably this conversation, I reckon. And so it goes a little bit like this. I hope I can remember it and get it right. As a CEO, now this is quoting Ben Horowitz, or a leader, team leader of any sort, the biggest struggle, and struggle's an important word there, that you will face is your own attitudes, your own beliefs, and you are going to get in the way. The yeah. mindset. Your own mindset. It is. I think that is so right. It is so perfect. And I, I think, um, you know, as a, as a leader, I think what we, what we often forget is that we don't necessarily have all the right answers. And often we're the one that's getting in the way and all of that comes back to our mindset. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Ben was saying in the big, at the start of um, Hard Thing About Hard Things is really once we recognize that the, the biggest obstacle is ourselves, that's where the power is. And that was like really why we were kind of like we need to do this reset on ourselves, we need to do the self-leadership, we need to help others because we need to have a look at our own mindsets but our own habits, behaviors, routines and what what the actions are that set us up to be able to have a better attitude, have a, like not get caught up. Because when you're not feeling great physically and you're not sleeping properly or you're not eating properly, all of that affects the neuro side of things, the thinking side of things, and can lead to more negative thoughts or something bad goes wrong and it ends up on a spiral because our energy is already heavy and we're not we're not actually thinking clearly and we're not able to bring ourselves back online as fast as what we would be able to if we were fully well-rounded in terms of uh, our energies and our emotions and our and our physicality as well. So even like when we don't drink enough water and we're dehydrated, our brains don't fire properly. Uh, and we end up with a headache. Drink more and... water. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we want our brains feel like they're going to explode. Yep. And so we we've, we speak a lot about the wild fit diet methodology. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. And the the idea of reducing stress and inflammation from um, diet-based stuff so that we can absorb or handle more stress elsewhere in our life. Mm -hmm. And the same with exercise. So having the right amount of exercise is about reducing the stresses that are on our body so that we can handle more stress in other parts of our life. Mm. Yeah, and it's about resilience as well, right? So one of the things, it's not its not in the hard thing about hard things, and we've been talking a bit about Art of Impossible and Stephen Kotler's work over the last six weeks, but it is about building the resilience and the grit and how, like one of the things I really loved, and it, it, for me it kind of overlaid with the premise of hard things about hard things, was like being able to f perform at your best when you're at your worst and doing things like training to fatigue and then practicing, say, a pitch that you need to do so that you're physically exhausted and you're on that, like, 
the cusp of exhaustion and still training your brain to be able to perform or to kick into gear and vice versa when you're mentally exhausted hitting the gym so that you're building up your own tolerances and levels um, in different situations so that when the hard things get hard, you can still, you can almost, there is no actual real thing of muscle memory. I've just learned that um, from, do you remember Louisa that used to work at, at the Entourage? And she was always a high performance sports athlete, um, performance coach, mindset coach. I was reading it from her the other day. Um, there's no real thing about muscle memory. The muscles don't have memory, but your brain has neuropathways that know how to trigger things. But if we think about that, like we, our brains have pathways that can connect so that we know that we can get through these things. We've done it before. We've done it at this level. We can push through. We have the grit to do it. Yeah. And in the hard thing about hard things, Ben talks about being comfortable doing the uncomfortable. So no yeah. matter what that is, is just actually being firing a friend. That's <laughs> firing a friend. Yeah. It, well, you know, it's it's firing anyone really. Like mm. um, I know my, myself. You know, anyone that you bring into the business, you don't bring them in because you think that nothing of them. You know, they they come into the business. They're they're a part of your business. They are they're a part of that that family, so to speak. And so it doesn't matter who you've got to let go or why, it's always a hard thing. Hmm. Well, it should so, be anyway. It should be. But w- one of the things there is that he talks about me, like getting comfortable with the uncomfortable and that reminds me of Marissa Peer saying making the unfamiliar familiar. Um, yep. And a way to get comfortable with the uncomfortable is to role play situations or to think through how you would play it. And, again, by you don't – getting comfortable doing the uncomfortable can be done in so many other ways. So pushing through training in the rain or like pushing your comfort zone in other areas builds your ability and your resilience to to be able to do other things that are tough mentally for you or physically for you, which again loops back to Stephen's stuff, right? So every time you push yourself or face your fears helps you to face your fears in other areas. So jumping out of airplanes may not, you may not make a direct link. I say this because Kyle's like, I'm never jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. It's like maybe next weekend. Um, so, <laughs> but the the facing of that fear ingrains in your psyche that I can face that fear, I can do this thing, which then when it's when you go to face something else that maybe isn't as life-threatening, it's like, oh, well, if I can do that, I can do this. And we start building these pathways for ourselves. So although people think that, you know, how do these correlate? Like if we look at a lot of really high performance business owners and entrepreneurs, they have a high risk tolerance. Like look at Branson, look at the crazy shit he does. Crazy ass shit, right? But there's a lot of people I know that are at that high level that they ride motorcycles or drive race cars or they're doing extreme sports. They do a lot of these other activities or if they're not a sporty person, they might play high stakes poker or like we know one of our friends that's a top salesperson, he was on the world um, poker tour. So the do you know what I mean? So it may not be a physical thing, but it is something that pushes their edge and so the ability to uh, to overcome the hard thing about hard things is if you train doing hard things. Yep, yep. 
and it's just a it's a rehearsal like you said whether it's whether it's role playing a situation whether it's training in the sun in the sun in the heat in the cold and the rain um, getting in an ice bath pushing pushing the boundaries on the surfing you know in in conditions where you know you sort of look at it going oh maybe I shouldn't be doing that yeah it's not today uh, <laughs> there's no swell around uh, today there's a little bit of a oh there's a little wave over here you can't see it on cam either side of the river there's yeah. yeah. So it's just about constantly challenging yourself. And, you know, Kotler talks about the challenge. Um, and so does Ben Horowitz talking about pushing yourself and pushing the challenge part mm. as being important in being high performance. Yeah. Um, just going to switch gears on on that. So there's the challenge part and there's the, the making the unfamiliar familiar or the uncomfortable, uh, semi-comfortable or familiar. But... The key thing that I took, I re-listened to the Blinks this morning, as you know, um, for hard things. And the thing that kept circling back for me was almost like a concept of moral compass. Hard things become easier, I think, when you still know you're doing the right thing in a bad situation. So letting people go, being open, honest, giving them a fair and reasonable severance package, like, I got let go once. I called them C words. I, actually, I said you're a right bunch of C words before I walked out um, because they'd really, they knew the ship, they knew what damage they'd done. They knew what they'd done to the business and they'd bought me back from another state to try and save it and, and made me the bad guy having to fire people and like, and knew that I turned down an, another opportunity. I'd been headhunted. Like, it, it was just, I felt like they did the wrong thing. Yeah, I got um, a redundancy package, but I felt like my morals had been compromised. I felt like my best friends had betrayed me. Like I'd built this business with them for five years. I'd literally, I nearly had the logo tattooed on my arm. Like literally my whole team interstate were going out to get tats one night because we bled green. Um, And so I really felt like, yes, almost the same color actually. I really felt like you guys have lied to me and and done the wrong thing. Whereas if they'd been honest and said, okay, it's the GFC, (laughs) we're fucked, we snorted all the money out of the business, we haven't paid any of our bills, no one's got their super for two years and we need you to try and save it. Like not that I wasn't busting my ass, but I just think if I could have communicated with some of the other leaders to do it, I would have taken a pay cut to – I'd. I'd kind of taken a pay cut, but I would have, I think there's more I would have done or I would have said, do you know what? Let me on the phone to the suppliers. Let me see what I can do beyond. I just would have had a different level of commitment. And if it still ended poorly, at least I would have felt that I hadn't done the wrong thing and I hadn't been done by wrong diet myself. And so I think that that's just, it's a really, um, I think that was the key thing that I took it out of the hard things, the hard things is like, what's the moral compass? How can you make sure that even when shit sucks, you're opus, open, honest, and transparent, and you're looking at what is the best case scenario in this scenario? How can I communicate openly? Like if you're having cash flow problems, get on the phone and just tell the people rather than just rather than dodging them and skirting them or whatever, talk to them about it. If you're going to have to let team members go, Talk to them about it because you never know. They might already have someone tapping them on the shoulder. That was my biggest pissed off. I went to them and said, I've been offered 
I'd been headhunted. I'd been offered an amazing opportunity, a massive, like a percentage of company and everything. And they're like, no, we like you're hundred percent. You're in. We're going to be selling shortly. When we sell, you've got X amount of percent of the company. Like, do you know what I mean? It was like <laughs> way too many promises and nothing delivered. And yeah. Brene Brown talks about the same thing about the you know open and, and transparent conversations and being totally vulnerable um, in those conversations is a lot. You know. Being honest and concise and straight to the point is the best. It, it's the most honest way to deal with people. Yeah. And although it's really hard, it does make the hard thing easier because if you know deep down that you are lying, cheating or stealing, then it's going to, do you know what I mean? There's going to be, you're going to feel like the karma's going to bite you on the butt. So I think it's about to make things a little bit easier is maybe think about your contingency plans. Maybe think about, you know, how you're setting up, it kind of comes back to your virtues and your culture as well. Like what what happens if, and especially if you're, say, leading a team and you're like, okay, we've got this project, but if the project doesn't doesn't soar, if it doesn't hit this milestone, then we're going to have to lose headcount or we're going to have to do something. Cool. Even communicate that up front. Put people on fixed-term contract or like let them know the parameters up front and You'd be surprised, like how many people, not that they don't intend to work hard, but kick it up another gear if there's that investment into like the success of something as well and that that autonomy of creation to be able to fully be a part of building something rather than just stepping in as another a number or an employee. Yeah, yeah. And so with with the hard thing about hard things, the step on from all of that was – you know, if you have to let someone go, it's you and the company that's let them down. So whether they're a, a bad hire, and, and this this applies to your team, to, you know, whoever it is, but, you know, if if they haven't performed, you've let them down. You've either chosen wrong, you haven't supported them, you know, whatever it is. Um, if the business has got to a point where you need to shed headcount, then it's the same story. You know, if you haven't told them up front that that's the risk, then yeah, you've let them down by getting to a point where you've had to do that. And I think that's really, really important. And I know my own experience where um, owning up to that and owning that and, and letting people know, look, I've, you know, it's a complete stuff up. I've, I've screwed this up. This, is, this isn't all on you guys, but I'm sorry, you're, you're on the block. Um, as hard as that is, that's the conversation that you've got to have because mm. you know you can you can go and blame everything else that's going on in the industry. You know, uh, the the industry crashed. The you know someone didn't pay. Whatever it is, but ultimately to that person that you've got in your care, you've let them down. Yeah, and that, that circles us back around to extreme ownership, right? Um, but it's your reputation. So no matter what happens with your business, whether like whether it's taking a nosedive or needs to pivot. Your reputation is your reputation and that's the one thing you need to protect for good, right? Because that's what and like how many how many serial entrepreneurs have we seen that have had crash and burn businesses? Like, you know, who they've cra- they've created something they thought was gonna be great and they've burnt all of the investors' money because they've had a crack or whatever. But when they've done it with integrity and they've managed the expectations and they've shown honesty and they've shown their learnings from it. Even the same, even the investors that have just lost their dosh uh, will 
come back through because they know that that person's going to fail forward. They know they're going to learn from the experiences and they know they're not going to scapegoat anyone or lay the blame where it's not due. And so that's also how you get employees, A, coming back to you or that you don't damage your employer brand in the marketplace because it's really easy for someone to go, oh, it was because my sales person, sales manager was shit and my accountant didn't do that or my bookkeeper didn't do that and that person didn't do that and try and, like, you know, blame everyone else for your failure. Well, guess what? You're the leader. You're the failure. Oops. And, and that's one of the hard things is that as the leader, you you have to make hard decisions every day. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, whether you're in a big company, little company, little team, big team, it doesn't matter what that is. As that leader, you constantly have to make hard decisions. And mm. it, it's it's just sometimes you screw that up. You have to be really honest and own all of those things. And I think, as you said before, if you can put hand on heart and say, yep, I'm doing the right thing, I've tried the right things, then those conversations are so much easier. If you're doing the wrong things and you're not being honest, then it should hurt. <laughs> and not only that, but it should be harder for you. Yeah, yeah. So I think that um, the, the key thing in that is like it, it, it can be really hard to, to wear that and to be um, honest with yourself. That can be the hard bit sometimes. Like you don't want to, you don't want to admit you fucked up. But the the growth and the ascension for your soul is really in in that in that ability to reflect uh, upon where you were at cause or what you could, what else you could have done and ensure that you move forward with it because that's that allows you to you, maybe it hurts right now but you'll bounce back quicker because you're able to to recognize that and look at the way forward and to to not wallow in it because you found the we say the the lesson than the blessing in the in the fuck up right yeah and you do you you've just got to keep going with the learnings and if you can't if you can't accept that you are at cause in some way then you can't take the learnings it's never it's just going to wash past um, yeah you're never going to get there yeah I, I think I started by talking about how we, we've worked on the six weeks self leadership so six weeks solid and. You know, when, when you sort of think about all the things that we've just been talking about, this is this is why it was so important to go back to a bit of a reset, get back on track, um, mm. because you know if you're if the mindset's not right, if the body's not right, we can't do all of those things well. You know, and and I think there's there's probably been a lot of learnings in the last six weeks that we probably wouldn't have had without um, without having that break, without having that reset. Mm. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, just the 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 clarity um, around things as well. In terms of, I feel like was just kind of, some of it was in a hamster wheel of just like running, running, running for the sake of running, and the other side was kind of. There's probably actually there's probably three. Uh, the so the running, 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 busy, busy, being busy. The complacency of COVID, like because there was a bit of excuses. As a as a leader, and I think no matter huh? no matter what size team you're you're leading at the moment, I think everyone is feeling the COVID fatigue, which mm. you know is is a real thing. The COVID fatigue is a real real thing, and um, just the the constant if 
it doesn't matter how much of the news you're hearing, it's constant. You know, it doesn't matter because, you know, you, every day you don't know what's coming next. So the COVID fatigue thing is, is really squishing everyone, mm. no matter where they sit in the team. And as a leader, it's really easy to just start to let things slide in your own world, in their world, and, you know, all of a sudden you've just got this big mess to try and start to clean up. Yeah, that's the COVID complacency because, you know, because, we, because we've got the fatigue, we kind of get complacent in terms of, oh, well, everyone else, like everyone's suffering or we can't do this or we can't do that. And maybe when it's, maybe when the world goes back to normal, and there's kind of like this permission for letting things slide, especially like so many people in terms of their health or wellness or um, usual habits, behaviors, and routines, because I can't go to the gym. I can't do this. I can't go hang out with my friends. Do you know what I mean? Like we we become complacent in our bad habits of kicking around or, or giving ourselves those permissions. And then when we do that in our personal life, it knocks over to our business life. And then how we show up as a team member, how we show up as a leader, just, you know, oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Well, it's no rush because we don't know when we can go back to normal. So deadlines mm. start getting pushed. But then the mind, then the the programming is it's okay to push deadlines or it's okay to wait rather than, no, we said we're going to do it. Let's just get it done. Yep, yep. And, and that's where things start to just slide. You know, the, the culture slides a little bit, deadlines slide a little bit, and, you know, all of a sudden things just aren't getting finished. And, um, you know, we went through it with our team this week where, um, you know, there was just there was all these little things that needed like 10 minutes worth of attention. Yeah. And they just weren't getting done. And it it was just it's just that, oh, yeah, you know, we can, we can come to that or, you know, it, it's not going to stop no us in what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. And and there's a lot of that happening. And um, it's really, I, I totally get it. Like not, not to criticize the team at all because, you know, they're, they're dealing with all of this COVID fatigue themselves. So, mm. but it's, I think it's really important to try and keep on top of those sorts of things with everyone in the team and sort of, as much as it seems like you're being difficult with the team, everyone wants to get things done. Everyone wants to get the tick in the box to see things off the list. Yeah. So it's super important to, oh, yeah, it's not. It's just 15 minutes. No, let's get on it, get it finished, get it off the list. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's about getting us back in the habit of ticking the things off the list um, because we know people feel great when they do it. And we've just got to help them get that mojo back and, and find that momentum again. And it hand on heart, I, I'll, I'll take responsibility for a bit of that because we changed dashboards and I kind of missed a few of the things that I would normally repeat because maybe because I was maybe because I was trying to find efficiencies and run the meetings faster, we removed some of the stuff and therefore kind of I dropped the ball on following them up. And then people knew that I wasn't kind of kicking their ass when things deadlines weren't done. The, the, it actually says in my calendar now, five minutes before the meetings, to bring it says get the fluffy baseball bat. <laughs> um, and look, we, be, 
we've got to sort of firstly say, or we've got to quantify that, that the fluffy baseball bat is not intended to be a weapon of mass destruction and no. the kick in the ass isn't meant to be a weapon of mass destruction. You know, our, our team is actually really, really good and they, they get along really, really well and they're getting shit done. It's just there's there's all of these this noise that's sort of, as you say, we've just sort of let things slip a little bit and, and it was like there would have been half a dozen things that needed like 15 minutes of, of time, of attention. That's all they actually needed. And, you know, it, it's all done now that, that we've sort of brought it back to light and brought it to front of, mm. front of mind. Um, and I think the important part of that is that everyone actually feels better because it's now done. So while that's a, that's a conversation that you sort of go, oh, like, do I really need to bring this up? Like, do I, how, how do I, I feel yuck about having to do this. But the good thing is, is that everyone actually wants that. They want to be accountable. Yeah. They want to see things finished. You know, they, they actually want to get it off the list. Um, it's just that attention's been drawn elsewhere. Yeah. And I think, I think honestly, that was on me. That was me going, oh, everyone's got so much stuff going on. They don't need me nagging them. But that was actually my my job was because some of it was just because it wasn't reminded. It wasn't on the dashboard. So there's so much other noise. And and then maybe there was a little bit of res- reliance also that, that people knew that that, that was going to be on there and it could follow it up and it would be seen and um, there was that process there. So I think there's a, a little bit of a message in there is d- don't stop doing what's working. Like even when like – with ex- with excuses or with COVID fatigue, like making sure that you, yes, you need to to adjust and you need to to work with what's going on, but don't abandon things and give it excuses or uh, give yourself the permissions because that w- that's kind of the hard thing about hard things. That's have having that. It seemed like I didn't want to do the wrong, like I didn't want to be on their case when there's got so much other stuff going on, but actually it would have it would have been the thing that probably took away some of the. The energy hangovers, <laughs> and so with with um, with kids, this is this is super important. This is the importance of boundaries and and rules and and routine. Is that that while they might whinge, bitch, and moan and complain and everything else about the rules, it's actually the stuff that makes them feel safe. It's what mm. gives them comfort. Yeah, um, was it Eric that I was talking about? I think it might have been Eric Edmeets I was talking to about this. That you know. Oh, maybe a bit of Eric and something I listened to from Dr. Shafali. Um, that challenge skills balance comes into play as well with with it. Is that as kids are growing, like they want a challenge, they need to push a little bit, right? It's fun. Kids wrestle, like you you want to push against something, so they need something to push against. Where and if you you've got to decide what you want them to push against. And still allow them to to have the structure. Like they need the structure because, like you said, the the six human needs. They need to feel safe and secure. Structure makes them feel safe and secure. But they also need that challenge skills balance, whether they're challenging and pushing to see where boundaries are, to to keep the excitement, to to keep to find out where the edge is. To and that gives a bit of the variety, right? So this is why. The kids won't be listening. Uh, one of the reasons why I stand a hard line on the sugar or something because if that's the one thing that they challenge me on, they don't challenge me on anything else. And we can play that yeah. game. I'm like, well, you've got your own money. You can buy, you spend your money on the shit food. Well, <laughs> if we get orange juice, will you pay for it? Yes, I will. But 
I can tell you right now, I think making that switch, we've, we've stopped having silly arguments, like even about bedtime and uh, different things because they feel like they've got something to push against and you give them a little win and they feel like they've got to win and, you know, it's it's just reframing and figuring out where the right balance is on those things for those for the mini humans but everyone everyone wants like the some structure some consistency is what creates the security so when you take that away from your team and you if you especially if you've had structure and balance before and you take that away they may not even notice straight away but they kind of start feeling like wait there's I, I don't know what's going to happen up. in that meeting. The the uncertainty causes anxiety. And and it can seem so it it can seem that we've got someone that hasn't got something done on time, for example. And you know, it can seem that it's the rest of the team getting offside about that. But what's really happening is they're getting offside because they now feel insecure. So where they used to be able to rely on, okay, I, I know that we're going to hit our deadlines, which means that I can do my job in the timely manner and, you know, I feel a lot more secure about that. All of a sudden when when those deadlines start to slip, it's the rest of the team that's actually feeling uneasy about it mm. and it's not, it's not actually about, oh, for fuck's sake, that guy's fucked it again. It's actually all about now I'm feeling insecure because I don't know where my workload's going to sit yeah how's that going to affect my ability to get what i need to get done am i going to be able to move to the next step and it's it really is more around that feeling that's created of uncertainty or anxiety caused by uncertainty because i don't know what's going to happen i don't know that this is safe i don't know that i can trust that i can move to my next step or do what i need to do yeah and especially um, we, we talk a lot about the different profiles and the different, you know, how people are. And it's really, really important for some of those, the, the tempo steel type guys, guys and girls, I should say, that, that need those really, like we, we want the, we want to see things in their box and we want to follow the rails and, you know, and, and it, it does give a lot of anxiety when they can't get to the next step, even if it's not super important because they've already, you know, as much as, as a creator, we've gone, yeah, that's okay. We can just we can push that to the future. What they've done is they've gone, but this is the line. This is the next <laughs> this step. Is it. This is the next step. And the world falls apart. If we, <laughs> if we don't follow the structure. What else have we got in life? <laughs> that's my chaos. seat. Like, that's my seat. That's where I see. <laughs> yeah. But it, it it what it's doing is it it's not it's not actually because they're upset with a person about what's happened. It's because they're unsettled and uncomfortable in mm. where their next step is. Yeah. And the way that they need to process things. Mm. So like for Kyle and I, sometimes the structure and the list seem a little bit constraining and boring and, you know. Calendar's not the boss of me. Yeah. <laughs> Trello doesn't own my ass. Um, <laughs> click up does. Uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um no, but do you know what I mean? We can we can feel like our creativity might be stifled, or my ability to to pivot and find a new way could be like hampered if I've got to stay within these guidelines and rule and these rules. Whereas for somebody else, it's like 
well, if we don't follow the rules and the structure and the process, how's shit going to get done? <laughs> and both ways yeah. are right for each person. But the, do you know what I mean? Both people can get anxiety from the different, from the different pieces. But we know, we know that discipline equals freedom. And even for yeah. us, even for us star creators, the discipline to do things and do it in a timely manner or in a structured way or on time does deliver us the freedom we desire, even if we're kind of saying, fuck your system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's true. You know, you've got to follow that. Ben also talks about the two types of leader. So the the creative planning type person and the, the integration get shit done type person. And um, I actually disagree. Controversy. I actually disagree when um, when he said that, you know, the, I, the best leaders are a combination of both. And I totally, totally disagree. I am so glad you said that because I was listening to that this morning as well. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know how I sit on that. And because I, I really do believe in playing to your strengths and I just don't understand why you can't have two leaders doing their geniuses in their areas. So I, I'm, I'm sort of on the same boat as you because I was like, oh, that's a bit polar. Oh, how do I feel about that? How do, how do I feel about that? <laughs> um, so I'm so glad that, that you're on the same page. Be, yeah, go, go a little deeper on that. Kyle, like explain to the audience what, what he means by it and what's and why. So the the creative um, the creative leader is the person that can join the dots, create maybe not create the full plan, but come up with a plan or an idea, a concept, and and put together the the big picture stuff. So really, really big picture. So like a whereas the <laughs> the integrators, the get shit doneers. Um, we'll take that idea and we'll join every single dot that has to happen. So every single step that's got to happen, they'll plan it out, they'll make it happen, and off they'll go. <laughs> yeah, the, the bits that, you know, I, I'm, I will happily admit that I am horrible at. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the thing that was contradictory for me is he talks one thing about hiring people for their strengths, not their weaknesses, and, and kind of goes down the strength finder path but then turns around and says, as a well-rounded CEO, that you need to be both and you need to work on the weaknesses. I'm like, mm, no, I don't agree with that. Hire if you're a creator, hire an integrator, and they don't need they don't need to lead in that in that way. They they can lead like you can have someone that's leading as a visionary and someone who's leading as a technical and and vice versa, right? Um, what I do agree with in principle, though, is a peacetime and a wartime CEO just in a slightly different way that he does because he's still talking about the marrying of those skills. I think peacetime and wartime CEO is, is mindset. And, again, though, it's like which, which one of those leaders needs to come to the forefront. Like if you're in a, peace, a peacetime CEO, I think, would lean more to your steel side, so more to your multiply side where your uh, wartime CEO would go more to your magnify and your blaze creator side if I if I was to think about it. So opposite ends of the profile spectrums. So more creator star um, supporter maybe uh, for wartime and more a uh, um, lord accumulator 
for a um, peacetime because, like, if we think about the winter season for peacetime, right, we've already got all of our stuff in place and we're just, like, we can tweak everything and we can really just make sure everything's fucking killing it and we're turning up the dials on what's already working. Whereas I feel like in war times, you need that creator, you need that risk taker, you need that someone who's going to get up the front and you need your people person who's going to put the fucking fire under people to the blaze under them to like send them out. Like you need to, do you know what I mean? You've got to enroll. We talk about enrolling people in our mission so that they'll go to war with you. Like you need your visionary, you need your people person to fucking fire the people up to, to get after it. Whereas I think in, in peace times, it's about what do we do with our, our systems and our processes and how do we like, you know, tweak it and dial it. And I don't know. No one wants to be a peacetime CEO. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> right? Like, so my, I, what was Ben's take on that? Because I was going to like, nah, this is what I think. <laughs> Well, so I, I was going to say that um, I, I think the concept of wartime and peacetime are a bit lost on it um, because in a business, let, let's go to a business, rather than just talking about team level, in a team level, really, you should always be operating peacetime type leadership. You know, you should be um, getting your team working, they should be ch- chipping away and really they shouldn't be seeing any war. They shouldn't be seeing the fight. You might be fighting with everyone else behind you, but no. But you could be taking the fight to the competitor. You're taking the fight to the industries, <laughs> like whatever you stand for and stand against. Like it's getting after it. Oh, We've got a mission and we're yeah, on a march. You've, you've just triggered one other thing that um, that came up too. So the stand against. Let's go to that one a bit later. But uh-huh. I just get to grab that and stick it in the marina. Got it. Stick it in the marina for now. So I think. Really, if you're if you're running a business, um, that you should always be a wartime leader, that you should always be on the edge. But what you need around you is people that are the peacetime leaders. Swans. Swans. Gliding. See, swan, swan just, I call it swanning along with, you're just like gliding along your little feet. Like me. <laughs> <laughs> So the the reason that I say as as a business owner that you should be the wartime all the time is that you should always that's your genius that's that's the bit that you should be doing is you should be joining the big dots the big picture and whether you whether shit's going south or whether shit's going good you should always be building those ideas now always concrete you one hundred percent but what you super need though is the right team around you to control that. Um, and, you know, it's the it's the visionary integrator pairing out of, I should remember the book, but. Good to great? No. Oh, shit. So <laughs> there's a book, everyone, and it talks about the visionary and the integrator. We'll put it in the comments, in the, in the show notes. And I know that. Um, for me, I'm a super visionary. I'm off the charts visionary. You know, like I'm happy to go, go, go join all the dots, find all the big ideas. But I, I would need, and I do need, people that sit beside me that are super integrated, that can take all of those ideas, 
take all the steps that are needed and, you know, I guess interpret it for the rest of the team. Mm. Interpret it and deploy it. (laughs) Yeah. Or put it in the marina and park it until it's a viable project. Mm. So I I kind of, I, I would totally go, as a as a CEO, as a as a GM, as a business owner, you should always be a wartime. Yeah, I'm with you, but I I I don't see why I'm I'm challenging you on why the team can't be wartime. I just think you've got to pick your right battles. So do you know what I mean I want to go to war against shitty processes and systems rather than just like oh yeah it's gonna take our time. You know, I get someone to do the stuff, not me do the stuff. <laughs> but that 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 pace <laughs> okay so we're gonna pull out we're gonna pull the the idea out of the marina now and drop it back oh you might get me all fired up here now i think maybe ben actually talks about this in the hard thing about hard things so often when we're creating the mission or the vision we talk about what do we stand for and what do we stand against and the stand for is a really powerful positive message for me the stand against is a really negative and you're taking a negative concept and trying to turn it into a positive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't like the idea of stand against. Um, I, I think, you know, as, as much as that's a motivator, I think that's a negative motivator and a negative energy to bring mm-hmm. into a team. Whereas even if it's a reframe of it, then we bring a positive message in for a stand for. I love it. Do you want to give an example? Oh, so. On the spot. Um, I hate plastic in the world. <laughs> now, just by using the language I hate immediately has a negative spiral. Yeah. Whereas I'm motivated to reduce mine and everyone else's plastic use i feel so much stronger for i'm on a war against takeaway cups (laughs) (laughs) but we can we can go i would like to see everyone with an inspiring keep cup in their hand no everyone must have an inspiring keep cup in their hand no well no i I'm torn on this one because for personal side of things in terms of I get really fired up against and, and this is why when I do when I lead virtues and values um, workshops, I do both stand for and stand against. So what do you stand for and what do you stand against? And then which way, which one do you feel more passionately about? Like I I don't know, I just I stand against I I feel like I do I stand against single use plastics and like I I feel really strongly about that and I don't feel as much conviction about saying, I don't know, I want to reduce, I don't know, it just feels soft to me. (laughs) Uh, But we know that I can be a bit ballsy and polarising at the best of times. Um, But but I totally get where you're coming from and and this is about languaging um, with teams and really thinking about that. And and there isn't... mm, no right or wrong, it's just our way is the right way, no. Uh, no, but if you, if you look at uh, what Ben was saying, like Apple versus Amazon, right, uh, Apple stands for beautifully designed, expensive, 
spent what did they spend like five what did they say they spent on their office like something ridiculous 500 yep. million or something ridiculous on their offices right Amazon made their people have doors with legs nailed to them as desks um, because they used doors. Yeah, because they stood for frugality because they wanted to give the cheapest prices to their customers, so they needed to live that and they needed it embedded in them where Apple was obviously beautifully designed things. You can't work in a shit office with a used, de- a used door as a desk, right? It just sends the wrong message. Um, both wildly successful, but it sets a tone for the culture. So it's it's about going what is true for you. And then because Ben really, and I think we should do a, um, a podcast specifically on this, I love Ben's second book more, um, What We Do Is Who We Are, which is around the culture side of things and that really unpacks this. But really thinking about who is the people that you want on your team, what is the values and virtues of them and what's the, because the, culture is what you do not, not what you say, and it's it's really is in the action. So, which which way gets the behavior you want, the stand for or stand against? But also, you really do have to think about the nuances of languaging, though, because is it going to create a negative th- thought pattern and uh, a, a haiti sort of whingy like culture, or is there? It depends. It really depends on how you position that. But it also depends on the people that you're bringing in because if it is a cause that's like, yeah, I'm like picking up a sword and I'm like I'll die by it for this cause, then often it's a stand against. But if it's, you know, um, you know, I stand for stopping harpooning of whales rather than just saving the dolphins, there's a different level of – does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Um, I, I just – I really – the concept of having positive messaging in all of that culture stuff, I think, is super important. Um, and as you as you just touched on there, I think as soon as you start bringing in negative languaging in a concept that you want people to hold front of mind all the time, it's got to have a negative effect on them. Well, where do you stand on the no dickhead policy then? Uh, that's funny. That's that's a positive. <laughs> I think that's a positive. <laughs> <laughs> So I think what we've just come up with is we're going to have to do the next Ben Horowitz book is um, what you do is who you are. Yes. Did I get that right? Um, Yeah. What you do is who you are. Yep. What you do is who you are. Cool. I I did get it right. So that we will put in the marina and we'll park and we'll, we'll come back to that one for another day. The hard thing about hard things, um, we, we've just experienced six weeks of the hard things and we did that intentionally because it was important to us. It was important that we got reacquainted with the importance of habits, behaviours and routines that mm. support us as a super good, super high-performing leader. The final chapter of The Hard Thing About Hard Things, basically Ben says, and I think it might even be the last line in the book, they're hard things because they should be hard things and because they're worth it. Yeah. Anything worth having is worth working for. Mic drop. Absolutely. We are Team Engineered. I am Kyle. Next to me is Jade. We talk about everything to do with engineering your team and teams of engineers. So if there's anything that you'd like us to talk about, by all means, drop a comment underneath here. Ping us a message at our website on teamengineered.com or... 
wherever you listen to us, make sure you subscribe. Amazing. Thanks, Kyle. As always, guys, make sure you go out and you be intentional in how you're going to lead your teams to greatness. Thanks for listening to the Team Engineered Podcast. Are you ready to build a kick-ass team, weaponize your workforce, and live an epic life? If so, connect with us at www.teamengineered.com. And while you're at it, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.